If we asked you for your definition of success, what would you say? For us, it's simple. Success is unique to each and every one of us. Welcome to The Success Revolution, the podcast that's changing the way we talk and think about success. We're The Step Up Club. I'm Alice. And I'm Fenella. And we're on a mission to get every single one of you feeling successful, no matter what that success looks like to you. In today's episode, we speak to gold medal winning Olympian Kate Richardson Walsh, OBE, who, whether you're interested in sport or not, is endlessly fascinating and a bloody great inspiration to all women. She talks about the excruciating conversation that her and her wife Helen had to have with their coach about their burgeoning relationship and also what it's like to publicly fail and managing that post-Olympics void. Her advice, although very specific in the world of sport, is totally applicable and beneficial to us all. And we absolutely love speaking to her, don't we? Because really, life on the hockey pitch is just real life with all its pressures, expectations and relationships under international floodlights. We both love speaking to her and we're really excited about it. Fan, what really stuck out for you in our conversation with Kate? Well, we've met her before. She did an event with us. And I've got to say, I sort of fell in love with her. I have a massive girl crush on her. I think she is a very inspiring, positive, open, warm woman and somebody who has an infectious personality and just a lovely, lovely way about her. I think that that carries through her definition of success because her definition of success, again, is a very positive one. Mm -hmm. And she has embraced this life after sport, which I think for many athletes, not being a professional athlete myself, but having read a lot about professional athletes, I think it's obviously a very difficult transition. And she has sort of gone at it full pelt, not really knowing where it's going to lead, but with a vision for the type of life that she wants to create and the type of feeling that she wants to create in others. And actually that's just endemic of her whole success definition, which is about support, about network, about women, about team and about growing the kind of resilience and leadership that she's learnt as an athlete in others. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. She is completely magnetic and just the way that she is as a person. She's incredibly positive, which I find amazing for an athlete because I feel like it would be one of the most stressful types of career choices. There are two things I think that stick out. One is that sports people, I think sports women in particular, just seem very enigmatic like you just don't know what happens behind the scenes and Kate really let us inside her world of all the rituals that take place how you not just become an Olympic athlete actually she started hockey pretty late I think she said she was 12 or 15 but what it takes when you're at the Olympics how she prepares for those big matches how different people in her team prepared in very different ways and as the captain she had to manage not just herself but manage all of those emotions and pressures in others and I didn't also realize how much of a kind of team leadership role a coach takes and she actually talked about their kind of board meetings and everyone that sat around those meetings and it just really reinforced how it's a job like any other job but just one with so many extra facets and she's just so open and engaging. I think the thing that is really interesting for us listening to her when she's speaking also for you guys listening is the way that so much of what she was doing as a leader of an Olympic hockey team is 
relatable to our lives. So a lot of the ways that she led her team, a lot of the ways that she helped her team to come from setbacks, the ways that she motivated her team. If you are managing people or working with people or even just looking for ways to motivate mm. and push yourself forward i think that there is a huge amount in this interview that you will be able to go out and use tomorrow in your own life maybe even today agree Obviously, it is January and therefore it is time for another round of Step Up School. Step Up School is our completely game-changing course. We run it both in person, at Step Up School in a circle in London. It's a three days over three months, but we also run it at Step Up School online circle three months and you can do the whole thing from the comfort of your own home. They're both game-changing. We feel so passionate about both of them and we have a very special January discount for the last remaining spaces before both courses launch at the end of the month. So if you're interested, head to stepupclub.co forward slash podcast discount for all the details or find the link in the show notes below. Just before we launch into the interview, as you know, we dedicate each of our episodes to a female-focused charity of our guest choice. And today, at Kate's request, our episode is recorded in aid of Access Sport, which works solely with young people in deprived communities and with disabilities to enjoy all the benefits of sport. For more information, please click across to accessport.org.uk. And now on with the interview. Kate Richardson-Walsh OBE is a sporting national treasure. Not only did she captain Team GB's women's hockey team to its first gold medal at the Olympics in Rio in 2016, she is also the most capped female hockey player of all time, 375 appearances for our country, to be precise, and has in total won 19 international medals, scored 49 goals and spent a whopping 13 years as the Team GB and England captain. Despite the achievements and accolades, as with every sports person, Kate's career has seen its fair share of ups and downs. At the 2012 Summer Olympics, she had her jaw broken by a club to the face in the team's opening match. Despite this, after undergoing surgery and missing just three matches, she returned to captain the team to win the bronze medal. That is actually, I think, more amazing than winning gold. Now retired, Kate spends her time serving as an ambassador for the Women's Sport Trust and supports disability hockey through Access Sport, as well as coaching Hampstead and Westminster Hockey Club. She is married to her former gold-winning teammate, Helen Richardson-Walsh, and together they are BBC Sports commentators and an equality in sport activist, especially for the LGBT plus community. Kate and Helen have made history several times over. They are the first same-sex married couple to win an Olympic gold medal together, the first married British couple to win gold together since 1920, and last year they were the first same-sex married couple to be honoured by the Queen. Kate received an OBE, Helen an MBE in the same list. Kate, congratulations on all your achievements. We are beyond thrilled, genuinely, to welcome you to the Success Revolution podcast. Thank you very much. What an introduction. <laughs> I love doing those intros. I know, it's amazing. I, actually, I feel quite emotional listening to that, and it's not even my achievements. <laughs> it does feel like it happened to somebody else, all of it. I was just like, you're reading it, I'm like, oh my God. Well, that's quite an interesting point. Yeah, it does feel surreal, really surreal. I don't know if it's because I only retired two years ago that it still feels so raw, almost. I've not really dealt with it. I've come outside of the bubble of being a full-time hockey player and then not really dealt with that. So I think that's probably why. We can I, deal with that here. Okay, good. Therapy, that's what I need. Good. So obviously you've had an amazing career evolution. And our first question is always about success. 
mm-hmm. since we're on the success revolution mm-hmm. um and thinking a bit about what success looked like to you as you were going through your emerging sports career and how that's evolved mm. I think because when I started playing hockey I was never the player that you would pick out I never stood out I don't think in any way and so I think from quite an early age success for me was just trying to be the best that I could be although I wrangled with that for quite a long time because I was so desperate to be like my sister who was two years younger than me and two years cooler and two years a better hockey player or other people you know a captain that maybe I thought was really great or a great leader or a great communicator and so I was for a long time trying to be something that I wasn't but when I finally came to terms with myself success then only just became trying to be the best that I could nothing else because I felt like I could hold myself account to that and however other people's opinions you know were whether they were positive or negative that actually I would know myself whether I'd tried my best given my all nobody else could ask any more of me than that so that I think became what I measured success against I mean, you talked about it in a way as if it was quite a natural evolution, but I think that's really quite an impressive evolution to go from really comparing yourself to others at a young age to being very self-sufficient in terms of defining success. I think I could benefit from doing that more and lots of our listeners could as well. Can you talk us a bit through how you did that? So I think probably just lots of failure, to be honest. For a long time, in terms of very specifically about the kind of hockey player that I was... I was kind of getting picked for things, but then I would get dropped. And I was always on the periphery, never really making it. And I think coaches were very hard and very firm and very brutally honest. In fact, I've kept all of my review documents from, you know, when I was 16. And they've got tear stains on because, I mean, that's the way coaching was. Yeah, I mean, that's the way coaching was in those days. It was very direct and very to the point and quite hard to take frankly and but I do think that actually helped me because it made me really look at myself as a hockey player and what kind of hockey player I wanted to be so I think some really firm feedback helped and then I guess just the people that I surrounded myself with so my teammates and my friends which pretty much were all in hockey I think understood what I was going through they were going through similar and I think we'd just talk about it I think for me in particular and I think probably for most women but I only know because I'm a woman for myself, that I think it is that shared experience, that talking to other women, listening, how other people are dealing with things, and then lots of trial and error, just a lot of failure, and just really having to look hard at myself. And I think being made captain quite early, so I was made captain when I was 23, I think that also forced me to look at myself as well, the kind of person that I was. There are a couple of things that you've said that, made me think for example at the beginning you said I wanted to be the best and then I realized that actually I need to think about myself and focus on myself and yet you became the best I slightly feel like you're being too modest in a way I mean you became the best I want to understand that transition how you got from being inside your Mm. head and also I wanted to ask you about the importance of those conversations with yourself because I think as a spectator with sport you very much only see the game and you think yes. everything happens I mean obviously when you think about it logically you know it doesn't all happen on the pitch but I'm interested in that relationship between yourself and the theory and the thinking and the person behind the sports person as well so I think the first bit I would almost call it like a self-doubt or the little internal critic that we all have mm-hmm. I don't think that ever went away 
and I tried not to make that a negative thing I tried to make it a positive thing so actually there is no such thing as perfection and if I tried to be perfect in any way shape or form I was going to fail and I was going to fall flat on my face so actually just trying to strive for excellence so for me that would be setting the best example that I could you know everything eating the right things getting the right amount of our sleep wearing the right kit pushing myself in training making good decisions all the time however much the internal critic was still going on all it was doing was trying to make me better and that's how I viewed it so every night after a game I'd go to bed or a training session I'd go to bed and I would literally mentally go through every mistake that I'd made in the game and I could paint a very clear picture of it in my mind was that therapeutic or was that painful it was quite painful but it was me dealing with it and correcting it and then putting it to one side Mm. and so I think rather than shying away from that internal critic I think it's just framing it in a positive way that okay this is going to make me better as long as it's not pushing you down as long as you can try and make that internal critic lift you up then I think it can be a good thing but for sure there are times when you get that negative spiral and And then so leading on from that yeah I mean, we've interviewed you before and we were both incredibly touched by how much of a people person you are and how you were so clearly a brilliant captain because you think about other people in your team and building that team as well. But how has that, those relationships and the personalities in all of your individual journeys off the court, or was it pitch? Pitch, yeah. Pitch. How does that bring excellence to the team and how have you fostered that in other people? I mean, that's the yourself. thing I love the most about coaching is not only trying to get the best out of yourself, but then trying to get the best out of everybody else at the same time. And then doing that to you as well. When I think about what is success in my career, I think the last seven years, five years of it in the full-time programme, when for the first time ever in our lives, we were able to train as full-time professional hockey players and give each other time to get to know ourselves and each other and build culture and all that incredible stuff. And that understanding of each other built bonds of trust and respect that will never, ever be broken. When we see each other now, just some eye contact, nothing needs to be said. We know, I know exactly what they've been through. I know who they are. I know them in their best moments and their worst moments. And they know that of me. And I think that vulnerability, that ability to really open yourself up and allow others to open themselves up and share with you, I think is really special. And I think in that way, we were able to really get the best out of each other. And what an environment to be in. A group yeah. of 31 women. Privilege, I think. Oh, God, yeah. You know, people say, oh, do you miss playing hockey? I'm like, no, I don't miss playing hockey one bit, but I miss being part of that group of women and staff who were all in it for the good of the whole team. It was just amazing. It's quite a burden in a way. I mean, it's an amazing experience. And I feel that it's not the same thing in any way, but it's not dissimilar. The thing that we love the most about what we do is being part of this community of women. So there's women like you who we work with on events and podcasts, but there's also our Step Up Schools community. And we always come out of that and think, wow, we feel so energised by being so open with these women have these women be so open with us and going through a journey together that's really what it is and it strikes me it's a bit like being in the army yeah because you know you're kind of going through a combative or conflict situation aren't you yeah in our step up school they're in a war with their personal success Mm -hmm. with the world and with a with themselves and with a a world that's defining things in a way that really doesn't work for their lives Mm -hmm. and for you guys you're literally in a sports war with another team and with your own 
minds as well so in a way it's incredible but in a way it's a huge burden isn't it because you're dealing with your own success but then you also do you put on a front or are you completely vulnerable to the team how does it work that's a very good question for a long time I put on a mask and partly because I think the coach that I had at that time I think initially thought that emotions were bad it was a male coach and I think for him to cope with himself he felt that he needed to hide his emotions to be the best coach he could he would put a mask on and try to keep his emotions under wraps now that's impossible because it's an emotional thing playing sport is right at the surface so I think I struggled for quite a long time because I was really trying to keep almost in this kind of level period where I would have ups and downs in my emotions but they were quite fine ups and downs but I'm a really emotional person and so finally when I just let myself be and you know still monitor them and try and keep them in a way that wasn't too erratic I think people understood me more and then people trusted me more and I think people respected me more when I was just being genuine and authentic to myself and so I think rather than thinking about you know whether someone's too emotional or not emotional enough I think are they being genuine are they being authentic are they being themselves and are we creating an environment where they can be that and whatever that means you know for some people they were quite introverted quite reserved and would hate to wouldn't want to necessarily let some of that out and that's also fine so just trying to find those places for everybody to fit into that team dynamic I didn't in the end find it a burden I found it a privilege I found it the best part of the job almost what being the captain did it make you a better player because were you able to focus on something I imagine it almost being like a CEO in a way you found like your niche and then I'm guessing or projecting that the playing almost just came because you'd managed all of the captain stuff in technical terms. Yeah, it kind of became all a bit intertwined. And I think whenever the captaincy was in question or because we'd be reviewed all the time, so we voted for captaincy. So there was myself and a leadership group voted in. So before the London Olympics, there was four of us all together. And before Rio, there was five of us all voted in by the team to lead on the culture specifically. So first of all, it feels like so a massive honour. It's you fascinating. Don't know that. No. It's, it's yeah. run like an organisation. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's you're, oh. you're leading a, a company, basically. Yeah. And, you know, that was quite hard for the coach, I think, because he may have wanted different people in that leadership group. But it's what the team wanted. I'm sure at times, <laughs> I mean, we judge. clashed a lot. Oh, did you? Yeah. And, you know, I think for the best outcome. But it was hard. I hate conflict. But yes, I'm sure at times he was like, God, can they vote for somebody else, please? Like, I've had so, it for 13 um, years. It must have been so lovely for you to know that your teammates had voted oh, you in. Yeah, but it was just the best, best feeling. You know, however much I annoyed them, and I know that I did at times, and I know that I was ridiculed on WhatsApp groups and the cause of, you know, much anger and, and possibly upset. But I hope they feel, and I think they felt like... I always had the best interests of the team in mind. And so however annoyed they were at the time or frustrated or angry or upset, that that was my reasoning for having to make certain decisions or go with certain lines of action. But I just feel so privileged to have been in that position but to have worked within that leadership group because there were some other phenomenal leaders in both of those groups and led in a completely different way to me and also taught me a lot about myself and my leadership and that 
complete egomaniac. I can't be all things to all people all the time. Just can't. If you've ever thought that way, it's quite a hard reality to actually go, actually, do you know what? I can't. Mm -hmm. And I need these other people. You know, it's a big group, 31. They need different kinds of leadership skills. So, and I can't have all of them. So that was a big learning for me as well. Can we talk about winning a gold medal? Mm. Like, what does it feel like? What was the energy on the pitch? What was the build-up to that match? I mean, Fernando and I have played sport. We know the feeling of being part of the team. We know that you have, like, over the course we of We were matches, both really quite serious yeah. sports people who didn't make it. Yeah. In different sports. Yeah. yeah. And so can you just describe matches leading up to the final just the feeling what was going on in the locker room like just I just actually just want to know all those feelings I basically just want to live it through you so let's just go <laughs> well, this, is our, this is our potential future that never happened for either of us oh no oh it's never too late ladies I think it actually was. No. <laughs> I think the night before the first game I remember lying in bed and it felt like the night before Christmas before the first game at Rio? Yeah. How many are there? If so if you do well, you play. So we played eight games in 14 days. So it's two weeks if you're lucky. So otherwise you could just get to the quarterfinals. So that would be six games and that would be it. Or not at all. So that night before the first game against Australia, it was a massive game, Australia. They were supposed to be on the podium. They'd medaled in every tournament in the lead up to Rio. Like They were confident. That was our first game. So we had a really tough one first up. But I just remember going to bed that night and I wrote a little poem. I love rhyme poems. And just it feeling like the night before Christmas, just we were all really wanting to get started. We are excited. We are in such a good place as a team. Do um, you think we can win gold or do you not allow yourself to think that? Like, how far ahead did you oh no. go? Literally just Australia. Just that first game. It became our mantra. It was kind of our mantra anyway, just one game at a time, like the old cliche. But we were really hard on it this time. So if anybody, like, even, you know, even with a bit of eye contact was like, oh, this is good, no, you'd, like, slap them back down again and be like, no, back to just one game at a time. And it just built, the momentum built. So we won every single one of our group games. So five games, you know, against the world's best opposition. So we're feeling good. We're getting good momentum. Gets the quarterfinal um, against Spain and have a reasonably comfortable quarterfinal for a quarterfinal Olympics. And then had New Zealand in the semi-final, who we'd had some really close games with and actually lost quite a lot to in the last two years in the lead up to Rio. And we'd beaten them in the bronze medal game in London 2012. So it felt like they wanted revenge mm-hmm. for stealing that bronze medal and. This felt like quite an emotional game and we just controlled the game and they are such a good team and they've got some incredible players and we just controlled them. And then also once that game, you know the medals are nearby. So I think winning that semi-final, it was immediate celebration and then immediate being brought back down. What was your team talk? What do you say? We all got in a huddle, I remember, after that game. So we'd always meet in a huddle. So all the staff and all the players would come and we'd meet in a circle. And that kind of physical contact was something really special about it. Again, it's probably something that I missed, that closeness and that bond. And just, we all stood in a circle in the middle of the hockey pitch, I remember, and we're just saying one more game. That's pretty much all that was said. It was just like, we've got one more game. Sorry to keep interrupting. No, that's fine. Don't do that. I really want to say. How long then? So was it an evening? until the next match and what do you do do you like go for a swim I mean what do you do 
So we had a day in between a semi-final and final and the British Olympic Association were in the British school in Rio. So we took over that school basically. So there was a swimming pool there, there was a gym, there were meeting rooms, massage tables were set up and we could eat meals there. The food there was amazing. So they brought in their own chefs because the food in the Olympia Village was Average. Oh, good, there disasters that year, weren't Yeah, with the plumbing. And I mean, we were really lucky. Like, Team GB are ridiculous. They're the best association, I think. Well, I'm very biased, obviously. But we have our own plumbers and electricians. So any problems we had were kind of getting Amazing. sorted. Yeah, we are very lucky. So we go to the British school and we do our weights. So we had to keep fit because you lose fitness. There's two weeks out there. You need to, in the tournament, you need to keep fit. So we're doing weights. We all go in the pool together. So we do 20 minutes in the freezing cold pool um, to recover, to flush the legs out. Then maybe some physio treatment. We'd eat. And then parents could come or friends and family could come and then you can spend a bit of time with them. So um, my mum and her wife, Sarah, came that day. And then it's just a nice, relaxed time. And was it relaxed? Yeah, it was just like it was any other rest day in a tournament, weirdly. You know you've got an Olympic final. It, it was much more relaxed than if I think back to London 2012 when we had the rest day before the bronze medal game because you know you've got a big game the next day but you know you might not go home with the Olympic medal. Whereas there is some solace in the fact that you know you're going to get an Olympic True. medal. But we were just going for that gold with everything we had. And people would just get stick into the routine. And on the morning, what time was your match? So it was evening, so it's nine o'clock here, so it was six o'clock start there, I think. It's just a long time. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Which, again, it's, I mean, it's so boring, but it's, we talk a lot about routine and processes because, of course, we're nervous. It's, you know, just because we're athletes and we've been in this position before, we're still really nervous, and you can use that energy and lose that energy in that day. So we just had... A really structured day so and we had that every day regardless of what game we were playing in so we'd meet for breakfast we'd all walk together to the breakfast hall we'd come back we'd do our exercises and then there'd be various meetings about the game the opposition how we're going to play set pieces and then we'd just have lunch and then slowly build up to leaving to go to the game but it once you'd got into a rhythm kind of win lose or draw if you've got a good routine and good processes and you stay with that everything else just takes care of itself be quite good advice for anyone working i'm thinking about actually so some of the biggest questions we get i think unsurprisingly are around public speaking mm. how to stand up in a big meetings pitch how to interview it's got a lot of similarities so you know that you've got this massive pitch you're really nervous about it you know i'm interested in what do you do in the 15 minutes before can you give people advice about how to prepare mentally i mean we spent a long time talking about it with our psychologist as individuals because we're all different right if we all three of us had to prepare for a big pitch or a big match or something we would all need something quite personal so we'd all need to know what that is but we would also need to give each other room to do that for yourself so if you want to have headphones on and listen to your own music but we want to have music on the change room like can that work together or not and so some of the girls would literally have from the moment we left the Olympic Village would have their headphones in and they would not take those headphones off until we went out to warm up which is probably about 35 minutes before the game something like that and we'd sit in very specific parts of the changing room so there'd be kind of a group of people who were really relaxed chatting messing about a little bit just completely in a relaxed state whereas there'd be some who'd be very focused and quiet and not talking to anybody and we'd have to really respect each other's space mm -hmm. in that way 
we talked in the with our psychologist about a game and getting to your a game it's almost like a sweet spot where everything feels good and you're just really in a rhythm and it feels easy and how you get into that a game is all about your mindset so you can have the worst physical warm-up ever or no physical warm-up and you can still get your mind there and it's just about each person understanding what that method is to get into that what's your method so it took me a long time like literally years 15 years probably I think to really get there without any thought for a long time it was quite clunky because I'd basically trialed and errored so I would try and be relaxed but then I'd be so relaxed and so laid back that everything was just a bit casual and a bit slow and lethargic and I wasn't sharp and so I went to the other extreme, so I tried to really get kind of fired up and wide-eyed and, uh, you know, shoulders back and just a bit loud and a bit dominant. But then that took me over the other side and I'd get sent off quite a lot. Buzzing. Yeah. So then I had to just keep every game, just try and see where I was in that, almost that spectrum and just kind of, okay, I'm too far that way, try and bring it back or I'm too far towards the laid back, okay, I need to actually fire myself up a little bit. And through basic trial and error and just having that headspace to be curious about where I am, finding over time the sweet spot and then I could just get to take myself there almost immediately. I think it's so interesting because I think as a professional sports person, you have the support around you and the knowledge and the expertise to really understand yourself. And I think the thing that we find in the women that come to us who are always looking for something, otherwise they haven't found us or they don't potentially need us, is that they don't have that reflection time they don't have the support to understand themselves and actually sometimes it's as simple as they come to step up school and they find that from being with other women from listening to our kind of content and actually it's not always about being the best or knowing everything but it's allowing yourself that time and that reflection and because of the fast pace that we live in and because of everything to do with modern life and how we live our lives we never gift them we say that a lot we never gift ourselves that time or thinking we do also talk to them a lot about consciously working on specific aspects so right. it's really a similar idea in a way if you're this is totally applicable if you're not an athlete right but you okay. pick something that you need to work on really consciously and you work on that really consciously and you're mindful of your reaction so if it's for example how you feel about networking be really conscious about how you're networking be really conscious about how other people are doing it Mm -hmm. think about how you want to be try out different things they might not work adjust it's not something that you would necessarily think to do but it makes sense right totally totally makes sense and it's constant and it never ends which is kind of the the issue with it because you're kind of like I just want to be in a good place mentally physically emotionally I want to be in a good place so if I do x y and z then I'll be in a good place but it doesn't end there and you're a different person every day absolutely and that's the thing I'm almost most grateful of the time we spent talking about self-awareness it was a lot of time but I'm constantly still learning now I was on a mental health first aid course last week and they talked about a stress container and then everyone's got a different size stress container and you had to kind of write in all the things that would fill up your stress container and how you need to kind of it was so useful but even just that process of writing down I was like yeah this is really stressing me out and I've not even allowed myself time to acknowledge the fact that this is stressing me out and actually I can do something about this and also the fact that you need to then have a little tap in the stress container and you need to release out mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to bubble over and I was like and everyone's releasing different again absolutely yeah and I was like oh, this is brilliant so I'm slightly changing tap yes because 
I'm really fascinated by this because I'm fascinated by relationships and people is what I'm completely obsessed with. I'm fascinated by people who work together, mm-hmm. couples who work together. Because if I work with my husband, I just think it would be a total disaster. <laughs> How does it work? Because it's not only that you've got to respect a team, you know, other members of the team, you've actually got to respect your wife's different way mm-hmm. of preparing. And your relationship is a whole separate entity that's still going on throughout this process. So how does that work? It was hard. I can't dress it up and say, oh, it's, you know, it's great every day. We do feel really lucky that we got to share just some amazing experiences mm-hmm. together. So we're very lucky in that way. However, it was hard. And I think when we first started our relationship in 2008, it was a shock. I mean, it was a little bit of a shock to me, to be honest. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was therefore a shock to my teammates, family, you know, our coaching staff. Because you were playing together already for a while before yeah. you got together. Yeah. So we'd known each other since we were probably 15. I would have been oh, 15. Wow. Yeah. And kind of been friends. We'd always been selected, but it wasn't really until we'd gotten into the senior team at the same time. And we were kind of the kids in the team and that you kind of get, you know, lumped together all the time. And we just became really good friends. And that was absolutely all it was and we grew closer and closer as friends and then we both went through quite big breakups in other relationships and just kind of I think found each other in that moment and it just changed almost overnight and it was amazing but also quite scary being in the same hockey team and so I think for teammates in particular they found that particularly hard it was almost why are we rocking the boat? I think our coach was concerned that if we split up World War 3 was going to commence mm, like, there's a lot of stake isn't there? yeah and so we talked about it. We just talked. I mean, in the team, we talked a lot. And so we had to have quite an uncomfortable meeting. So, with our so coach. as your relationship is yeah. in its very early yeah. stages, you're Got also it. having to be completely open with everybody else about. Yeah. That's quite confronting. You know, early days, you know, you don't, you hope it lasts and you hope it goes well, but you don't know. Nobody knows. So, you know, meeting with our coach about our relationship was just awkward. But it was good because it just got everything out on the table. Exactly. I was thinking it's almost like, those processes sometimes end up being the best things. Yeah. And we shy away from those moments. Oh, yeah. But actually, as a sports person, like while you're talking along the whole time, and not to kind of look at it in too rose-tinted, but I feel like you've been through so many processes and had so much structure that you should be sorted for life now. No, <laughs> like, yeah, no pressure. Like, yeah. no. Like, if we all have that privilege oh, of being no. able to have that, you know, yeah. Those relationships, those times, those difficult things. You know, we say it the whole time. You have to go through the difficult times. And sport is so honest. Like, you can't hide. I'm, I'm assuming high-level sport is, you know, obviously is the pinnacle of that. But you can't hide. And actually being honest and having to go through those moments, in a way, is just it's so formative. Yeah, no, I think I get it wrong all the time. And I drop the ball all the time. And I continue to fail and miss things all the time. But I do think at least... You are human. Yeah, and I guess it just, it's me allowing myself the space to be curious about why I'm feeling a certain way and and having other people around me who pick me up on that. So, you know, one of my teammates might send me a message every now and again and ask me how my plate spinning's going because if I take too much on, I fall flat on my face. And she knows that, so she messages me and I need those people around you that get it as well. Did you and Helen retire at the same time yes. and how do you both now manage having had such a structured path to going a bit freeform in your careers and lives we retired at the same time Helen didn't announce it until a year later so um 2017 I think first and foremost we both feel just so very fortunate to have gone out on a high because 
lots of athletes that we know some of our best friends you know tried numerous times to just get selected into an Olympic team never mind going to win an Olympic gold medal and you know failed that doesn't make them any less of a success in my eyes but that's very hard for them to have dealt with and so for us to have been able to retire at the top with winning that gold medal I think we just feel very very lucky however having said that it doesn't make it any easier that transition you lose yourself you lose your identity you lose your value and your worth all the things you know that I talked about all that self-awareness a lot of it was around being in that environment as a hockey player and I almost need to take myself through that whole exercise again um, to work out now what are my super strengths now what's my A game now how do I get myself into a good mindset because it's changed I've had to change um, and what does success look like for the future in a way that's probably not changed so it, I think I'm doing lots of different things at the moment so going into lots of companies going to lots of schools I'm coaching hockey a bit of tv stuff and so it's really varied and I guess in every every hat I put on I just try and be the best I can with that hat on and I suppose in that way that mindset's not changed but some of the other things I have to really force myself to do so give myself exactly as you've said we do not give ourselves enough time to be curious about how I'm doing where I'm going what can I improve what am I really good at and I know I need to build that time in for myself having Helen go through the same thing I think in some ways was great because on those days when we're absolutely at rock bottom and just like, what, I've got no reason to get out of bed today. I am worthless. There's somebody there next to me who goes, I understand, I'm here for you, which is just incredible. And we've fortunately ebbed and flowed at slightly different times, which has been quite good. Because your success definition, I'm assuming, was pretty similar before. You've retired from the same sport. Mm -hmm. You're both women a similar time you thought we've obviously met both of you you've got quite different personalities mm. are you now defining success differently and looking at different paths or are you sometimes competing for the same thing or how are you navigating that yeah no that's a really good question I mean I guess in some ways we are a little bit in competition I mean you could say although we played in different positions in the hockey team we were all in competition with each other in that environment as well so maybe that's not changed but now it's more obvious because there's two of us and we're trying to get work in a quite a similar field. Helen's really good at identifying what she needs to do and where she needs to go with her coping mechanisms, with her life. So in a hockey career, she had a really bad back surgery. Two years before Rio, she had double back surgery. And she realised at that point, she's a very private and introverted person, actually. But she, at that moment, wrote a blog and put it out there. And that helped her beyond measure. That's so interesting because meeting her, you're very extroverted and she's very introverted. And I would have... Mm. just never imagined her to be so open about something like that no but it helped her massively just to share just to get it out of herself to get it out of her head and so in a similar way now she's retired and she was kind of like I'm not sure what to do and she's now started a master's in organisational psychology and she knows that's the right thing for her even though she finds academic stuff probably more challenging than other aspects she loves it and she knows that even though it's going to be hard that's the right thing for her to do so she's very inspirational to me in that way and different to you really different to me yeah I am you know just dive in all guns blazing we'll just deal with the ramifications see but how also it different that she's got a very specific goal and yes now absolutely I think 
we're probably going to set up a business together I think using her kind of masters in her organizational psychology and some of the things we've learned as international hockey players going in and helping teams within companies thrive in brilliant idea so that's the hope um, we can do some stuff together yeah I know that would be awesome <laughs> but it would be yeah because I mean I think you're doing just an amazing an amazing job and I just I love listening to the stories follow your Instagram and just seeing the comments that people make and just the difference you'll make to people's lives is just amazing and what a legacy what all anybody can ever ask for without wanting to subject everybody to a mutual Kate Alex Fanella <laughs> Helen Lovin I was telling Kate before we started recording about a girl I know I'm not going to name her but you know who you are for listening who is a young teenage girl who was quite shy and finding school not that easy and got into hockey and just turned out to be brilliant at it she's a brilliant sportswoman and has now got really seriously into hockey she's playing county level hockey and Kate is her heroine and her inspiration so you're doing the same thing I mean we talk with other guests we've talked a lot about altruism and I don't think we've really talked about that but when you sat down you said actually one of the biggest drivers for me is inspiring other people do you think about that consciously so as a vision for our team that we established ourselves as a squad before Rio is be the difference create history inspire the future and so a massive part of that was it was beyond this group that we were in, this 31 women. It was more the impact that we could have in a positive way, you know, in a very similar way that you're doing. If we could get someone to go back to hockey who'd played as a teenager or we've now got involved with disability hockey, giving everybody the opportunity to be active and make it accessible and open to everybody. I don't really care what people do. Just I think exercise generally is just so good for every aspect of your being. And so just wanting to get that going. And it's been amazing to hear those stories, you know, to come back from Rio and say, you know, I watched you and I've never played hockey before, but I went down to my local club and now I play every week and I found a community that I feel I belong to. It's just like, okay, amazing. You know, just helping that one person is frankly enough. I think there are amazingly more. And it's something that I think as a team, we took very seriously. We go to thousands of schools, between us there's a big squad of us so we can get around but particularly to get that gold medal into people's hands to say okay it's not about gold medals maybe but you will have something metaphorically that is a gold medal to you and you are capable of achieving that because I know I for certain thought it wasn't for me absolutely not and you'll be sat there thinking the same thing like oh I can't be a doctor you know people like me aren't doctors or whatever hairdresser whatever it is but you can or I'm not the best at that or absolutely. I assume that there are people who are better than me so I shouldn't go for it absolutely absolutely and people will tell you that as well that's the other thing so it's also not just your self-confidence but it's also saying okay thanks for that advice and feedback but I feel I can do this <laughs> Yeah. yeah. How often on YouTube do you watch that moment when you won the gold medal? Because <laughs> I remember watching it and you all jumped up in this way that I've never seen like legs go so high in the air and there's like, this image. And I just think it's such a high and I'm not surprised that inspired people. Like just even that moment of I think everything you've touched on, like you could just see, feel the team, the joy, the relief, the everything. And you're women. I mean, we don't, we haven't even, we don't, we haven't talked about that yet, but you know, as women, we don't see female role models in sports playing in a team that often. No. No, I think it's definitely gotten more. So I think netball doing amazing yeah, well, Commonwealth Games. Yeah, they brilliant win. Yeah. Oh, that was just incredible to see. this. I can see Aussies when you see Yeah, them. in Australia at Commonwealth Games. 
to see that struggle they've been through to get to that point, I think is just that story is amazing. The women's football team thing are doing well, the women's rugby team are doing well. So there's more But it's not in our consciousness oh, no. but in the same no. way. Unless no. I mean Alice is I'm into doing sport, I don't watch sport as much as Alice is very keen sports watcher. I think if you're not, which a lot of our listeners will be more like me, it's not really in your face in a way that men's sport I think is in my face a lot more. Absolutely. And that is something we need to change because I do think there is a want and a desire to watch women's sport, but I think we need to make it more accessible and more known because if it's on I watch it but if I don't know it's down the road I went to go and watch Harlequin's Women play rugby and I only went because one of our friends was playing for Harlequin's Women if I hadn't had that connection I wouldn't have gone and I would have missed out because it was amazing but there's so many opportunities like that we need to do more as broadcasters sponsors governing bodies and people just to get out there and go and support those women. Well, I think you and Helen and the whole team, sadly we can't name them all, but I think you have done an incredible thing for women, for sports women, for young people. Young people, yeah. And I think that we are inspired by you. We couldn't wait to get you on the podcast and just thank you for your honesty and just for your stories and your insight. Yeah, it's been brilliant. So at the end of the podcast, we don't like to say to people, be inspiring. But (laughs) if you have a life lesson for someone who's sitting there listening to this podcast thinking, wow, but how am I going to define my success? What's the future looking like for me? Can you leave them with your best piece of advice? I think the best exercise that we did in the hockey team was called Super Strengths. And so I think take some time to sit down yourself and think about what are you incredible at? Really understand that and own that thing. Maybe get advice and listen to the people around you, but this has to be something that you know about yourself. And I think once you can be one or more things, once you grasp that, it's at the core of your being it's your value your essence your worth nobody can take that away from you and it might change but it's individual to you and people around you need you to bring that every day so identify that super strength and be about that super strength every day great advice how often do you watch that moment on youtube we've got a little video when we go into corporates and companies we we play it and i cry every time yeah i'm not surprised thank you thank Thank you. you no thank you if you enjoyed the podcast and it sparked some thoughts about your success please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening again all the information is in the show notes Don't forget to head to stepupclub.co to find out more about how Step Up School could help you achieve your career dreams. See you next week, same time, same place. We've got plenty of incredible women, each with her own definition of success up our sleeves.